Hey everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Dan. And you found your way to the Last Vestige podcast. Named after a music store we went to in college to dig through cheap and used CDs in search of new music, each episode will take a deep dive into an album front to back. We'll share our thoughts on the music and whatever other interesting stuff we can dig up on the album, the artist, or anything else we come up with. No music theory or music experience is necessary, and no recording or genre is off limits. So whether you're making your living as a musician or just looking for a conversation to put on in the background, we hope you'll find something here for you. What started as an excuse for Dan and I to call each other and geek out on music became an excuse for us to start a podcast. Welcome to Last Vestige. Hey, everybody. Today we're looking at Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Iron Maiden started in 1975, and they've released 41 albums, including 17 studio albums, 13 live albums, 4 EPs, and 7 compilations. Number of the Beast is their third album, and was their first to top the UK albums charts and reach the top 40 on the US Billboard 200. At the time of Number of the Beast, Maiden was Bruce Dickinson on lead vocals, Dave Murray on guitars, Adrian Smith on guitars and backing vocals, Steve Harris on bass and backing vocals, and Clive Burr on drums. So this episode we are doing the album, The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. This was my choice because I've heard a few people that I've talked to that are pretty into Iron Maiden and highly recommend them, but I've never really dug into them other than hearing a couple of songs here and there. And so I thought it might be fun to jump into. So I reached out to some people, asked around on what is a good album to check out and came up with The Number of the Beast, which is not their first album. It's their third album, but it is their first album with singer Bruce Dickinson, who is the singer of Iron Maiden with the most albums under his belt. They started with a couple different singers. We'll talk about that a little bit, but their first two albums are with Paul Diano, and then they got Bruce Dickinson into the band, and most of their other albums have Bruce. There was a break for a couple years, about five, I think, where Bruce left the band to pursue a solo career and then came back. And so hmm. there were two, there's one live album. And well, this is interesting. I would say there's one live album and two studio albums that have. With Bruce on it? No, no, that have a different vocalist. And that was from 94 to 99. Okay. And that has, uh, what is his name? Blaze Bailey. Hmm. Blaze Bailey was on vocals for, for two albums. One one live and two studio, and he he left the band because he had vocal issues. But the band kind of, or at least one member of the band, I think their bass player Steve Harris has admitted that it was really the band's fault that Blaze started to have vocal issues because they were asking him to sing out of his natural range. Mm, I can see that isn't good for anybody. No, don't do that and so bruce bruce came back and then bruce continued to be their singer up until present day i mean he's got a hell of a voice he really does he really does it 
It's very different. So I listened to the first two albums with Paul Diano, and his voice is okay. He doesn't sing as much. There, there was a lot less singing before. And then that album, stepping into this album and hearing Bruce's voice for the first time versus those albums mm. is a very jarring change. <laughs> so it, he really shook things up for the band. But anyway, that was, that's a little insight into why I chose it, um, why I was interested in it after speaking to some people. And we'll get more into band stuff because I'll, I'll talk through some member swaps and some interesting things that I see just kind of in the band's history before we launch into full album talk. But uh, Dan, what did you think, even just based off choice? I thought it was a fun choice. I realized I never really listened to a lot of Maiden. Obviously, I've heard some of the big ones. Like, I don't know that you can exist and listen to like some amount of metal and not at some point here, like Run to the Hills. Yeah, if you've played Rock Band, you've played Run to the Hills. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> it's interesting. I wound up looking up this album a little bit online, and I think it's funny because I think, like, first blush is this is their, like, one of their big popular albums. Yeah. But once I kind of, like, dug a little deep, there's a lot of posts about, is this album actually their best one? Hmm. Because there's some, there's some, like, really good I feel like singles off this. There's also a lot of kind of mid songs on this. I would not disagree with you. I think versus the other stuff, it feels like the puzzle pieces of the band really fell into place on this album, but that doesn't mean that they're all knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. When they're on, they're kind of fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> but there are a couple songs and we'll, you know, get through them. But yeah, we, we get there. Yeah. There were some where I was just like, what? Not really a long album, but like I would, I could do without this one. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm not. Also, it's an eight-track album. Yeah, no, it's not long at all. But some of the tracks are long. Yeah, there are a couple six minutes, one like seven minute. It doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. Is something I will that. say. The yeah. the album moves in a real way. On a personal, subjective kind of thing, I'm just kind of picky with the metal vocals I like, and this is not the style. <laughs> For me, it feels like a holdover from kind of glam rock, like back when metal was like heavy metal. But mm -hmm. a lot of the bands that were called that weren't actually metal by any means. Yeah, but what year was that? But when you think of glam rock and heavy metal, what year are we thinking? Because it this is one of those things that I always try and dig into. It's important to consider that this album came out in 82. Oh, yeah. No, it's a lot of it is like based around that. Yeah, I saw this in a lot of ways as a predecessor to stuff that it you can hear like a lot 80s. of future Metallica album. Oh, yes, you really can. Which at first, there were other uh, things I heard, too. Like I hear some Molly Crew kind of influence mm, and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's because Molly Crew tried to be edgy. Yes. At first the I, devil didn't i wasn't thinking about the timeline and i was like oh this is a very like metallica kind of sound and then i was like this came first yes oh. yep but yeah that's just like a personal thing is like this style of singing usually isn't my my bag i think it yeah. works really well on some tracks mm -hmm. he's got like it's again one of those like he's got a really impressive voice i see a lot of the like talent that goes into that it's just not the thing that I like. <laughs> yeah. 
It was interesting to me because, well, one, it's UK metal. Like, it's, it's British metal. Yeah. It's not American metal, which British metal is a thing. It was, there was a whole movement, you know, within that. I know very little about it, but I, I at least know enough to know that, like, British metal is its own kind of sect. But there's also just kind of sounds of the time that I hear in it. There are some things that make me think of Van Halen. There are things that make me think of ACDC. Mm-hmm. There are things that, like you were saying, sound very Metallica. You can see what you're kind of, what we're, what we're getting to or how the music influenced things from the future. But it also, time period-wise, just kind of fits. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty on par for what I expect. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so it, it I mean, it, what was interesting about it to me, just to talk a little on the album, is it didn't all sound like metal to me. No. It, which I thought was, it added to the diversity of the album, but it wasn't what I expected. I kind of expected, like, like when we listened to Metallica and it all sounded like metal. Yeah. That's what I expected. And that's yeah. not what we got. And it was kind of a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah. I think... In some ways, that's almost where Maiden's like reputation hurt them when I mm-hmm. first started listening to it. You know, after a couple listens, and I'm like, okay, no, this is what we're expecting. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a different story, but yeah, I was expecting like metal, and that's not that's not this. <laughs> yeah, you hear the number of the and beast, I feel and like you immediately Maiden think like we're going to hear Slayer, yeah, and it's not, and that's fine. Yeah, that's great. There were actually some tracks, so I don't remember an acoustic guitar coming up on this album, but there was even acoustic stuff on one of, I think, the second album, Killers, Does which was, which Hello seems out, out of place. The Hallowed Be Thy Name intro might have had some acoustic stuff going. If, it, if the Hallowed Be Thy Name intro is an acoustic, it sounds clean enough to be like trying to sound acoustic. So yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about on that. But no, that's still picked individual notes. Yeah. There was actual like strumming acoustic stuff. Not all the way through, mind you, but an acoustic guitar pops up. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting too. That kind of made me start to think I wasn't in for just metal. Yeah. But I, I liked the the depth that some of that added to the album. Yeah, totally. So so before we get into it, things that I thought were interesting looking at the band's history. Yeah. Iron Maiden was really the brainchild of the bass player Steve Harris. And when you look at the timeline on Wikipedia of the member swaps, Steve Harris is the only one that's been here the whole time. Okay. He has also played multiple roles throughout their history. So he started out, there's this span of time from 78 to, to 80 when the band was going through a lot of lineup changes trying to kind of find itself. All right. And find, you know, who's going to be in this band? <laughs> they went through three drummers. Actually, I guess went through four. Their fourth stayed for the next couple albums. They went through multiple singers, a lot of guitarists, and Steve Harris stayed on the whole time doing bass, backing vocals for a very short stint, also taking the role of lead vocals. Dang. Which, I mean, 
you know, that's been done. There are other bands that have the bass player also as the lead vocalist. Yeah, uh, it's just a lot of stuff that he's doing. Yeah. And then on their album in 88, he did keys. And then from 97 or 98 on, he's done keyboard on every album. Okay. They have a touring keyboard player, but he's not a recording member of the band. Hmm. His name is Michael Kenny, and he's also been employed as Harris's bass technician. So he was the bass tech, and then they're like, you you want to play keyboard live? So, oh, this is even better. Harris insisted Kenny perform the keyboard parts live under the alias The Count. So he's just known as The Count. Um, that's awesome but uh i guess that's another way to keep your bass tech super busy give them two jobs yeah but the notable things here are that paul diano was on for two albums on vocals then bruce dickinson was on vocals until 94 and then came back in 99 and has been on as vocals ever since okay dave murray has been in the band on guitar almost as long as Steve Harris. Dave joined the band a year or two before their first album and has been in ever since. Okay. Dennis Stratton was a guitarist on their first album and that was it. He left. Then Adrian Smith came on and was on second album on until he left in 89. But Adrian Smith comes back the same time Bruce Dickinson comes back, I guess, I don't know if that was part of the deal. If Adrian Smith was like, I'll come back if Bruce Dickinson comes back. There was just this talk that happened and they both rejoined at the same time. Hmm. Which is interesting because there's also Jarek or Janik Gers who took over guitar duty when Adrian Smith left. He stayed on even when Smith came back. So they have three guitarists from 99 on. Which I... That I thought was an interesting thing because there's some stuff on this that I think sounds good with two guitars, but I wonder what could be done with three guitars from the standpoint of like harmonizing licks and stuff. Mm -hmm. There are a couple solos that sound really cool because, you know, you're doing that dual harmony like run of stuff. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have somebody doing power chords or something underneath it? to fill it out more yeah so cool stuff like that and then the so the three guitars thing is cool i thought it was cool that adrian smith came back but they weren't like hey janet you're out they, they were like cool let's just make it work now we've got three guitars it's even better <laughs> more guitars more fun the only other thing is drums as far as member changes clive burr joined just before the recording of the first album he is the okay. drummer for three albums Number of the Beast is his last album. Then he leaves. That's actually something I I called out enough in song notes that I just kind of want to put this up front. Clive Burr is a sick drummer. He really is. Like, I don't... I'm not one to notice drumming as often. And the more I listen to it, the more I was like, this drummer is really good on, like, every one of these songs. He does these good... I. I same thing. I don't call it out in notes um, much, but he does good fills mm-hmm. and and stuff where you hear the variety in the fill. Yeah, because the band does good trade off stuff. Like 
you know, the guitarist will like do a thing and then you got big open space and the drummer does a fill. Yep. Then the next time he plays the fill, but the timing is a little different and he'll do it every time. And it really draws you in. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, not only that, he usually gets the cool. There's a lot of songs that open with him doing a cool intro. Yes. And then he'll kind of like not dumb it down, but like dial it back a little bit so that it fits under the main thing. But it's still the same kind of initial lick that he was playing just like a little less to fit with the rest of the band (laughs) yeah which is good too it it's it shows control and restraint to be able to like play something complex to draw a person in or to be the intro and then know what to shave off to fit into the full band coming in yeah so clive was in for three albums but based off of difficulties or schedule problems or something for the number of the beast touring he left the band and then nico mcbrain came in and he's been the drummer ever since so he's been the drummer from 83 on okay when nico joined that is what solidified what i read most fans think of as the core of iron maiden which is bruce dickinson on vocals dave murray on guitar adrian smith on guitar Steve Harris bass and Nico McBrain drums. And then Janet Gers just adds to the fun, I guess, because more guitar is more fun. There are yeah. other little little bits here and there. So Bruce Dickinson is credited as guitarist on two albums, two early albums, 83 to 85. Um, he doesn't play any live though. I don't know if he ever plays any in concert. I imagine with three guitarists, he definitely doesn't need to now. Uh, Bruce Dickinson's credited with keyboard work on one album. Uh, Janet Gers did backing vocals on one album. I don't know if he did such a bad job. They were like, you're out. But there's like keyboard work scattered throughout. So it's interesting. I like seeing, I just like looking at stuff like that because it's weird seeing, oh, for this very brief stint, the singer also played guitar, but then he stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. But the Maiden, I, I I can definitely see why aside from Clive Burr, this is still the core considered like the core group of made the step up to Bruce Dickinson or the change up to Bruce Dickinson made a huge change in the band sound listening to earlier stuff. There are some cool tracks, but what makes them cool has nothing to do with the vocals and the vocals actually kind of get drowned out in the mix of the music tonally. Whereas Bruce Dickinson's vocals do not get drowned out at all. Yeah. And it just has to do with where his range sits. It has nothing to do with tone or anything. It's just his range is just not the same as everything else. It fits in a different pocket. There's one song I feel like where he gets buried in the mix and it's because Mm -hmm. he's singing really low in the mix. Yeah, I could see that. I also think it's interesting. They don't cite anybody as lead guitar or rhythm guitar. And Hmm. I was trying to figure that out listening. And it was kind of hard to figure it out because there are a few times where they even trade guitar solos and stuff. Like, you know, one person will be playing a solo and then they'll trade off. Yeah. And I thought, I think that's cool. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's, I mean, that that was kind of, I just wanted to ramble on a little bit about the numbers, the stuff that I found interesting. But album-wise, I listened to the first two albums before this. They're okay. There are some tracks that aren't bad. They definitely were kind of solidifying their theme 
you know, just their their metal, kind of what they went for. But mm. you could tell that they were still trying to kind of find some footing, which some people might not like. I I've talked to somebody who really loves early Maiden track. Phantom of the Opera is a song that he's grinding away at on guitar, trying to learn how to play it. And it's a good track, don't get me wrong. Especially the thing to think about is the guitarists on those tracks are still the same guitarists that are in the band now. So, well, Sans won. There was Dennis Stratton was on the first album, and then Adrian Smith took over. But, you know, I'm sure they still play some of those tracks live, too. I yeah. imagine they don't, they don't just drop the first two albums. They were good. Yeah. But I did also find it interesting that the whole band was conceived by the bass player, Steve Harris. And yeah. he's the one who does songwriting, thinks of the album artwork and the theme of the albums and everything. Like they just released a new album recently called Senjutsu. And I saw in an interview that Steve Harris, so Eddie is the name of the mascot for Iron yeah. Maiden. And he approached the band and he was like, what do you think of a samurai Eddie on the cover of the album? And that being the kind of the theme going into it. And everybody's like, yeah, that works for us. Sounds good. And so now you've got snarling teeth, samurai Eddie on the front of the album and it, it works. So they're still, he's, he's the one that comes up with everything and then comes to the band and gets general consensus and then they move forward. Funny. Yeah. Bass has some power here and there in this world. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> so what do you think of the album overall? I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but. Yeah. I guess, like I said, there are sometimes it's eh. And then there are times where I'm like, oh, damn, they're firing on all cylinders in this rules. I can agree with that. The album was more fun than I expected. Yeah, I could definitely see that. There was less doom and gloom than I expected there to be. There's still doom and gloom, but. Yeah. And there's metal nonsense. There so is. It's, yeah. A lot of it is metal nonsense, actually. Yeah. That's, there's that's not good. really. I the, mean, like, if it's metal, it should be metal nonsense. Yeah. There's not really the like Metallica Black Album thing that I talked about of we're going to handle some deep issues on this song. And I'm like, you'll just go back to like singing about werewolves, actually. Singing about werewolves is great. The yeah. The Man is awesome. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Which there's a song on this that, that re- the intro of it reminded me of of wolf and man because you know it's that kind of grating guitar tone mm, yep and it was it was a few notches shy of of wolf and man because that guitar tone's intense but when i heard it i was like oh this is that tone that is you know it's really lacking a lot of things but it's really peaky in one frequency oh yeah so but yeah i mean i i'm glad we did this album i thought it was fun i'm excited to talk about it yeah well Want to get into Invaders? Invaders! <laughs> yeah, so I want to... Invaders is one that I right away noticed how present the bass was. Yeah. Not bass like like 808, but like the bass guitar was very forward. Oh, yeah. Very prevalent. And in not... I mean, in a way that it really added to things. Yeah, I really like it. That was another note that I had. Oh, I do want to say we're listening to the 2015 remaster. Oh yeah, that's a good that's call. The only option that we have on streaming service. Yep. I did find a video that actually just plays the 82 version. It was a remaster in I think 99. 
and then the 2015 remaster kind of like it'll take a cut a chunk of the song and play it back to back oh so what'd you what'd you find i don't like the 90s remaster okay it's not good (laughs) i mean a thing that i thought was interesting about remasters that i've learned is like a lot of times when you get remasters it's to remaster it for new new mediums of play and so you know things get mastered to be played on cassette or yeah. to be played on vinyl or CD or whatever. And I don't know what we were mastering for in the 90s, but... Yeah, probably CDs by 99. Yeah, yeah. it was just very... The mid-frequencies were really high. Mm-hmm. So you got kind of like low guitar, high bass, and that was like kind of it. That's weird. <laughs> they just like carved out both sides around it. It felt like... That it's not that good at all. I mean, it's not like... So it's not super hard, but mm-hmm. that was like the most noticeable change that I heard. It's just mm-hmm. like the bottom is cut out, the top is cut out. <laughs> but yeah, the bass sounds really good on this remaster. Really good. Yeah. Did it not sound as good on the 82 mix? I think it also sounded good. Okay. I don't I was remember wondering if it if sounded as of- good, but. I was wondering if like Steve Harris was involved in the remaster and he was like, crank the bass. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it up. Bring it up again. Yep. It's not loud enough yet. Come on. But yeah, yeah that was that on invaders. The bass is front and center. He's a member of the band. We're not ignoring him. Yeah. And I liked that. It also has a good taste to it. It does. It really does. This was right away. Right off the bat, I this first out or this first track is a big departure vocally from the last album, and so mm. I don't know if it was intentional for Bruce to come out swinging or if it's just that's that's just what he does. But yeah, vocally, Bruce is very noticeably different, and and I mean for for this vocal style, he is very yeah. Even if it's not your style, he he's uh, he's on point. Yeah, no, I see the talent and get it for the style. I just I don't like it. Yeah, it the the kind of imagery I get out of it is like Bruce's vocals are soaring above the instrumentals, and they do a good job leaving him space in his range. They're not riffing up in like "Sweet Child of Mine." super high range they stay out of the highs until it's solo time and yeah. then they'll launch up the neck and play really high stuff but then their riffs are typically in the lower register and i think that that's a good way of giving everyone their own space yeah for sure i also like the solo on this track i like some things about the solo the solo for the most part is pretty standard as far as solos go but there's a thing that i noticed in it that's like a turnaround kind of breather moment that mm-hmm that you hear a lot in this time period and that influence things like Metallica. And so like you get your shred stuff, your wheelie, wheelie, wheelies, but then you hit a chord with a little bend in it and you hang on to it. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get mouth guitar for a bit because that's how guitarists explain things. And so you get like, wheelie, 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 and that yep. gives that breather and things. The drums kind of pick and it allows you, you hang on to it long enough that it almost resets things so you can build again. (laughs) 
Because, you know, you built into the solo and you like fire off some notes, go crazy for a bit. But then you got it. You either paper it off and you're done. Or you can do this, which is you turn, you switch up the feel, you hang that chord for a bit, and then you can slow build up again or play a couple little slower notes and then start getting faster again. And it almost gives the solo new life mm-hmm. or like a, like a reset or, or just the ability to keep going with the solo in an interesting way. Yeah. And I see that a lot. You see it in some Metallica songs and stuff like that, but it's, I imagine it was more unique at this point. Yeah. And that still stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. That was really all I had on the song. Yeah. This is one that I wrote was very like heavy metal. Yeah. Rock. Yeah. In that kind of way. The little runs up and down, I made reference to them a minute ago, but they're like, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. While like kind of impressive because they're fast. Mm-hmm. Really. Are kind of just funny to me. Through the whole song. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of undermine some of the metal. This is kind of, you know, I didn't talk on the lyrics, but this is honestly kind of like a metal version of Immigrant Song. Hmm. It's just about, it's, I mean, Longboats have been sighted. The evidence of war has begun. Many Nordic fighting men, their swords and shields gleam in the sun. It's just all about invaders pillaging and looting and plundering. Yeah, it's you can see where there's folk metal, mm-hmm. like Tarasas and stuff that are just about like, we're fucking Vikings. <laughs> and it was funny. I like saw the lyrics for this and was like, oh, that's this. Yep. <laughs> they yep. were doing it. So much earlier. Gotta start somewhere. Yep. But yeah, I don't have that that much on this one. No, it was a good album starter. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I almost want to take issue with something you said on the break. (laughs) Which is? I don't think this album tapers off as it goes on. (laughs) I think it gets better. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I meant tapers off in terms of like what I have to say about it. But I guess I, I was speaking purely on my own notes. I don't think it tapers off. I do think it gets better. I just had less to say because I said other things up front that were similar to it. I got you. So with the exception of Gangland, we'll get there. We'll get. (laughs) 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 I'm glad you said that. That was good. We we keep all that. (laughs) Might just wind up being at the end of the podcast. I had issue with something you said. Okay, (laughs) fine. Let's talk. Yeah, so that brings us on to track number two, Children of the Damned, which is straight metal nonsense. It is. This This is is also one where I was like, oh, the Black Album did this. Yeah, Yeah. which as soon as I heard the intro to this, I thought to myself, oh, I mean, Metallica wasn't so far off from being metal when they did stuff like this. Yeah. Because this clean guitar intro is very very reminiscent of the black album which came after this yeah but i say it's metal nonsense because it's like it reminds me of opeth introducing ghost of the ghost in the fog they're like this is a song that's entirely about nothing it's just metal nonsense it's called ghost in the fog and then they just launch into opeth Mm -hmm. it's not about i don't know it i i honestly tried to piece together what's going on Mm mm-hmm so it's based off a movie. Oh, okay. 
there's I think it's Village of the Damned. Okay. And then this is there was a sequel called Children of the Damned. Okay. Which also Metal Nonsense counts as just writing songs about horror movies. That's true. <laughs> or TV shows. We later on we've got a show that's kind of about a TV show. Oh yeah, the prisoner one. Yep. But yeah, it's the like the thing that I was trying to piece together and make sense of was he's walking. There are lyrics, but like he's yeah. walking, he wants to go home, he's walking like a dead man. If he had lived, he would have crucified us all. But now he's standing on his last step. He thought oblivion, well, it beckons us all. But like, where is he walking to? Is he dead? He's walking like a dead man. But then you said if he lived, he would have crucified us all? It's not making sense. Well, metal's not about metaphors. It's about nonsense. So Children of the Damned and Village of the Damned is about kids with, like, psychic powers. Okay. Which is where some of the, like, small eyes burn you away. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I get that. And then, Uh, like, now it's burning his hand. Now it's burning his hands. Did he lose control of his fire powers? Because that happens. I guess. So, I guess in Village of the Damned, the kids are evil. And in Children of the Damned, the kids are not evil, but everybody thinks they are. So they, like, bomb the kids. Oh, that sounds sad. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that's where the watch him die according to plan. He's dust on the ground. What did we learn? Yeah. Hmm. The, The children still do, like, murdered embassy and military officials. So, like, they didn't mean to? Hmm. They were used as a weapon by the government. Oh, that checks out. Standard movie plot. In this song, I like the chugging walk down riff. Yeah. I actually did really like that. The clean effect on the guitar was decent, too. Yeah, but... I really like the chorus riff. I do not like the really high singing. <laughs> yeah, well. And the verses. that the bridge part was really fun, and I really liked the solo. The solo was good. I did like the solo on this. I thought I actually paid more attention to the bass and the drums during that section because I mm. thought the bass and the drums did a really good job keeping things tight and just having a solid, solid foundation throughout. Oh, totally. The rhythm yeah. section in this group is great. They it really, really is. Are. The one thing I did notice about the voice was Bruce's voice at the end at the mm-hmm. absolute end of the song where he lets out like that shriek scream yeah that tapers off into like raspiness but still has some pitch to it was just downright impressive yes. vocal ability yeah and him singing a, like singing along with the guitar at the end i thought was really mm-hmm. cool just in general i like they get real fast in this. yeah that is fun yeah this song definitely does show off some some of their chops really well yeah I mean, overall, it's okay. The slow intro, the slow verses, eh, yeah, it's okay. I think it adds nice, nice change up to stuff. It does. It makes the fast parts seem even faster because of the slow stuff. Yeah, it gets so fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really all I had on Children of the Damned. Same, actually. Which moves us into The Prisoner. The Prisoner starts out with some recorded bits or a clip from a 1967 UK TV show called The Prisoner. Fun fact, the composer of the opening and closing credits of The Prisoner was named Ron Grainer, who also composed the Doctor Who theme. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover fans. Of Iron Maiden and Doctor Who? 
Doctor Who and the Prisoner. Oh, okay. <laughs> I need to watch that show. It keeps like coming up in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people that like it, and apparently it gets pretty weird. Oh. Check it out. I mean, if a metal band is into it, then it's like, yeah. that, that means it's 80s nerd stuff, which means it might actually be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. this drum opening Fucking is box. massive. Yeah. It's so good. They, they come in and they. They come in with a lot of reverb and they pan it. They really do pull it back as soon as everybody else comes in. Yeah. But the drums are just so huge at the beginning. Yeah. They're so big. It's such, it's so fun. It like really it. is. It's an awesome intro. I actually really like the intro altogether. I think once, when everybody comes in, the intro really kicks ass. I like the way the chords. They hang the chords for a little bit and then slide them out and then, you know, chop back into it. I just thought it was an awesome intro. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. I like like right before we get to the chorus, the bass jumps up really high in there, too. Mm. Again, like the bass in this also just sounds good for a lot of it. And honestly, like I started learning a couple of them quickly. Some of these bass parts are really fun. <laughs> <laughs> they seem like they move a lot yeah yeah they do some of them are just like really fast like chugging but mm -hmm. a lot of them are actually fun that's cool that's good i this made me want to try to figure out some of the guitar stuff too because it it seems like it's not too hard but it's not too easy either yeah and that stuff's usually fun to figure out but this song so, you know, you, you go through the cool intro and then it moves into a gallop. Yep. And the song really started to feel ACDC-ish to me once we get into the pacing of it. <laughs> Didn't think about ACDC at all, but you're right. Even the vocals. It, yeah. Like, it's just, it sounds like 80s, like late 70s, early 80s, just straight rock and roll. Yeah. Which is also funny because I actually wrote that I I really like his voice in the chorus here too. I mean, it's good. It yeah. sounds good. It's it's a good p place for his vocals to sit. I also noted that the bass really moves up and is really really there. Um, but even with the backing vocals, the backing vocals on it too are just really rock, not metal. It, this song almost felt a little out of place. It did. I also like it though. No, I I did like the song. I did. I don't I don't want to sound like I don't like it. I do like it. I just had these really different feelings on it. It was just there were noticeable differences in it. Yeah. This one I think especially comes out as one of those ones that doesn't feel like again, metal. But like <laughs> Yeah, like ACDC or more Guns N' Roses or something like that. Yeah, I could I could definitely see future Guns N' Roses influence on this one this yeah. track is actually credited to the writing is credited to both steve harris and adrian smith okay the guitarist uh which the last two songs were only credited to steve harris so that's interesting yeah i really like the bridge into the solo part it's really good okay and then there's really heavy tom hits and the drums uh -huh. during the solo that almost start to overpower the solo a little bit Drummer's like, I will not be ignored. <laughs> yeah. No, this one, it was, it had a cool vibe to it. The solo actually, 
sounds darker than the rest of the song. And you brought up Guns N' Roses. It reminds me of how in Sweet Child of Mine, the solo shifts into a minor key. Mm -hmm. So Sweet Child of Mine is in a major key. It sounds a bit brighter through the whole song. And then the solo switches into a minor key. And this solo, I didn't dig deep enough, like playing wise or anything to figure out if it actually goes through a key chain. But the solo sounds darker than the rest of the song. And I did I did like that. It was a cool shift in it. Yeah. To give it some more character. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed is they say something about flying on wings of virtue. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, that doesn't sound very metal. It's just that to me also fit into that. Huh, this song is really positive. Yeah. Really, really, really uplifting. Yeah. But it was, well, if you kill me, it's self-defense. If I kill you, then I call it vengeance. That sounds metal. It does. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty metal i thought the the backing vocals on this added a nice touch to the track yeah but this yeah. is a good track i like this one it's fun this one a, this one can stay yeah it's like a good getting into the mid album yeah i'll let you take us to track four 22 acacia avenue i don't like this song very much i actually like a lot of the instrumental and like production touches but lyrically this song is really dumb <laughs> <laughs> I found this song lyrically to be very cringy. Uh, yeah. It's also got this really weird double, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say double standard. This conflicting idea. Yeah, they're absolutely doing theme. like Madonna horror complex with this person. Yeah. Because there's, I'm going to save you, but then there's like, this Come is where we go. To her. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Well, Charlotte the Harlot is on Iron Maiden, the yeah. album by the band Iron Maiden, named after the title track Iron Maiden, which, if I'm being honest, I don't like it when bands do that, but I couldn't give you yeah. a good reason other than it just seems weird. Yeah, it gets hard to describe it, honestly. Yeah. something. There's something that seems more normal about having a title track of an album so you know your album and the song share the same name but having is it a title track of the band yeah at that point like when iron maiden plays iron maiden is that the defining thing of iron maiden <laughs> because if we're being honest the track was okay yeah i yeah i think they had better ones so yeah. i don't know but this but is yeah. not yeah yeah i like like there's cool vocal echoes. Mm-hmm. One of the first ones is when he says so. There's a lot yes! of them. Yeah. Those yes! are really fun. Yeah, I agree. I think this is one of my favorite solos off the album because it stands out as being really different. It's really saturated with reverb and delay. Though it just kind of like takes a nice space in the song mm-hmm. in a really clear way and it does it in such a way where it changes the whole song momentarily which i find to be a thing that brings your attention to it more than if you just play a solo over what's already been happening in the song yeah and then they bring it back into the song but then we get back into the the vocals and the fringy thematics and yeah so then we're just back at 22 the avenue yeah the place we all go I would like to not go. So 
you know, we've been talking around this for anybody that hasn't listened to it. The song is essentially, is it a guy talking to a kid? His kid? I don't know. Essentially, he's saying like, if you're feeling down, we've got a place that we all go to where this girl will show you the ropes. She'll teach you more than you can know. So we're going through the prostitute theme of, hey, we all go to the prostitute. It's great. You can do literally whatever you want. She goes with it. Nice stuff, violence. It doesn't matter. Like, it's it's bad. And then, but then at the same time, there's the voice of reason, I guess, to that other side. I don't know. There's the Charlotte, can't you get out of all of this? Can't you see it makes you sad? Don't you know the risk of getting disease? Uh, There's another bit about when I see you walking and people stare at you. It makes me want to help you. Your life is good. Don't you know it's hurting all the people that love you? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of. It does end with. You're packing your bags. You're coming with me. Which. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a a cringy track. Yeah. Also, this one. This one has writing credit given to Adrian Smith as well. So the prisoner, this and then one other track which is Gangland, was credited to Adrian Smith, but we'll get there. Mm, starting to think about Adrian Smith's writing credits and the songs that I like and don't like on this album. <laughs> but it's interesting because he's credited on The Prisoner, too. The yeah. Prisoner's great. But Steve Harris is credited on everything, so... Yeah. But 22 Acacia Avenue is one that I think musically, instrumentally, is sadly let down by theme choice. Yes. I don't know if maybe in the 80s this would hold up better. I'm not there. I'm here. I'm not here for it. No. I think it's got a cool instrumental outro. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's cringy. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. But that brings us to the title track. Yes. Number of the, the number Beast. The number of the Beast. Hey, does this song sound like when the Saints go marching into you? It does now. <laughs> what? I, I didn't, you know, I didn't think that at all. And then you said that. And in my mind, I go. Oh, God, it does. Yeah, that's all I could hear. I, could, I didn't think <laughs> of that. But now I do. So it opens with Revelations chapter 13, verse 18, because it yeah. sounds ominous. But what's interesting to me is the riff doesn't sound dark no the track doesn't really even like sound dark instrumentally we're not listening to sabbath so it i thought that was interesting it starts out it's almost like it it starts out more ominous than what we get yeah it really does but they got a lot of hate for this i guess i would imagine everybody thought they were like satanists Satanists. in the 80s and you're not allowed to be a Satanist. You're not allowed to play D and D or be a yeah. Satanist. Yeah. To the point where I I'll guess get were, there in commentary. Well, I guess I want to hear what you have to say. I guess there were tracks on like later albums where they just started making fun of those people that hmm. thought they were Satanists because they're like very clearly not. Like I don't know what to tell you. So that's the thing. Listening to this, I'll just jump ahead in my notes. I said on a casual listen. I can actually see this song coming across as like a Satanist pro Satan track. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay attention to it. 
Yeah. If you don't read the words or pay attention to all the lyrics, then it comes across as only really jumping out with things like the sacrifice has begun, you know, 666, the number of the beast. If you don't pay attention and are easily stirred by those thoughts, I kind of get it. Yeah. But at the same time, legitimately lyrically, I think it's an interesting theme to have like a nightmarish recounting of this haunting thing that apparently seems to be going on in your dreams at night. Yeah. It reminds me of like old horror stories, honestly. Yeah. No, it definitely does. You're right. I mean, track wise, it's not bad. It's a good and straightforward track. I don't think it's the best on the album. No. But I think the extreme theme of it does make it a good choice for title track. Yeah. And it does the back-to-back guitar solos where it really sounds like the guitars trade off who is soloing. And I thought that was a nice touch that doesn't happen on the other track. Yeah, that one was really fun. Yeah, they make for a good live track. There's a cool bass climb. Yes. Here, like during the solos that I really like. And his screaming, like vocally, is impressive. Especially in the opening. Yeah. Opening with that scream is just great. It, yeah. It's a solid tone setter. Yeah, it's really good. So, yeah, it's yeah, fun. I don't have a lot on it, but it's, it's kind of fun. Neither do I. It's not a bad track. I would, I would keep it. I, I think, especially as far as, like I said, thematically, it is fitting. Yeah. And it, it sounds like an old horror story or like a, like a creepy campfire story. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I'm I'm down with that. It's, it's it's good for what they got going on. So after the number of the beast, time to run to the hills. Run to the hills. Which this song is brutal. It is lyrically not not musically. Yeah, it's. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot more brutal songs in that regard. But mm-hmm. thematically, this song is brutal. It is. I am conflicted on this song. Okay. Lyrically. Okay. I appreciate that they wrote from both perspectives on it. It wasn't just the like colonial settlers perspective. Because mm. yikes on that one. Yeah. Uh, content warning for slurs against native people. Yes. Multiple times. But also, like, there's not a, anybody of like, Native American or indigenous origins in this band, to my knowledge. Like, this is a bunch of people from Britain. Okay, yes. But that doesn't mean that they can't criticize what was yeah. done. And I take this as a criticism in it from is. the standpoint of it really does not paint a good picture of the people doing it. No, it doesn't. It also in some ways has the criticism problem where we're going to spend one intro verse in like the native perspective and then we're only going to be in the racist settler perspective for the rest of the song Mm -hmm. which i guess points out how shitty it is and stuff but it's not i don't know it's one of those ones where i feel like they were trying for something but i don't know that it really in you know it's also a difference of like what 40 years now so maybe that's part of the thing 
Yeah, I I imagine if he just like came out and said it as just a true criticism track, it might not have landed very well. So you have to hide it behind good gallops and I don't know, yeah, tight rhythm section and a what sadly comes across as a really catchy chorus of just yelling uh, run to the hills. Yeah, this is a really catchy song in general. It is. It really is. So I saw a video of Bruce Dickinson talking about writing some of the some of his part for it. Mm-hmm. And he had seen a musicologist on TV talking about how a musical interval our brains really like is the rising a uh, sixth going up. So for people that don't know, it's the first note of the scale up to the sixth note of the scale mm-hmm. going up. So a rising. So the, inter- the interval jump, not yes. A, okay. Yeah. So that's do to la. Yes, and one of the songs that is really catchy because of this is "My Way" by Frank Sinatra. Okay. Because it is just da 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 da. And he does that a bunch. And then there's a chord change where he can then just keep doing rising six. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So as he described it, it is basically just like musical like crack for our brains. That's interesting. He was like, I so I was watching this TV thing and went, huh, that's interesting. And I grabbed my guitar and I just started like playing around with it. He said, I want to make musical crack. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. So that's where some of his part came from, which huh. I thought was really funny. That is, yeah, that's really, really interesting. Would not uh, have thought, if you asked me about, like, possible influences for this song, I would not have put My Way by Frank Sinatra. No, Sinatra is not what comes to mind. I think part of it is criticism is lost a little bit in the fact that a lot of it, lyrically, thematically, is pretty standard stuff for metal yes yeah i think that's a really good point in invaders we weren't criticizing viking right we were like look at how bad this is they were well i mean invaders is from the standpoint of the victim and so it does talk about how corpses are lying everywhere and this is a problem because Mm. the vikings are killing us but it sounds more fantastical right and so i think this song even though it's probably not meant to be comes across in that same through that same fantastical lens yeah where you're like oh i get it these people are galloping across the plains or chasing indigenous people out of their homeland but that happened like hundreds of years ago we're not like that now which is not entirely accurate but yeah, so I think that's part of where it falls flat, even if it's written with the better of intentions. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And this is definitely one where I saw kind of like what we were talking about with Number of the Beast, where if you're not really like looking at the lyrics, you're like, it, you, the stuff that you do hear that pops out, you're like, oh boy. Yeah, I actually, um, because I never, even though I've heard the song a lot, I never really paid attention to the lyrics. Yeah. Especially because when you're playing rock band in college, the lyrics don't matter. You are much. mostly playing, uh, paying attention to your part. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep the band alive. Yep. So you hear, if 
if you only pick up on sparse parts, the song sounds really bad thematically. If you pay attention to all of it, you realize it's painting a bad picture of the people that it's from the perspective of, but it's still really hard to shake the feeling that they're the good guys in the song just because of the positivity or the oomph with which you're singing run to the hills run for your lives yeah that's the part that's hard to escape yeah so yeah it's it's interesting because you can tell that they were really trying for something yeah you can when especially when you read the lyric when you read them and you got time to try to digest it you can see kind of more what they were going for but yeah you know, the only other notes that I had, I also noted that the bass climb on this one is cool. It's a it's a similar to the, the Victor Wooten thing that you and I have talked about where you climb really high into the register of the bass mm-hmm. to give some space within a solo or something. And then I also really just liked how in your face the lead guitar is on the intro. Just like yeah. wham, wham, wham. It's <laughs> it's like really there. Yep. That was all I had on it. It's this is another one with the opening drums continues to just rock. Yes. I really like the use of the metal galloping riff here because turns out if you're gonna do a song about people, people riding into towns on horses, it works really well. <laughs> yeah, this is a good galloping run kind of song. It, it yeah. really keeps the song moving. It does. So there is that. Yeah. It's got a good gallop and it's one where I think the gallop really works. Yeah. No, I agree. And then I really like the bridge after the solo into the last chorus. Okay. I just think it's really cool. They come up with cool extra melodies in the bridge. I a agree. Lot of the time on this you album. know, it feels like a composition, not like verse chorus, verse chorus vocal bridge chorus done like yeah there's a lot of instrumental space given in in here um on all of these tracks and i think they show that they can do a lot with that yeah yeah they really do i didn't realize it until it was like the third time i was like i really like the bridge on this one which is not something (laughs) i say that much no but i was like no they just do a good job like coming up with an extra and it's not just oh yeah we need a c part so just like plop in a c part (laughs) which happens i am guilty of that we need something to break up the thing that already happened and the thing that's going to happen again (laughs) yeah 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 but yeah i think that this track despite the shortcomings we've discussed is easily one of the more catchy tracks on the album yeah, no, it's really clear why it lasted this long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but musically, there's, it's just, it is good. Yeah. So now I'm really curious to dig into your criticisms of Gangland, because you mentioned this track early on and not in a good way. Yeah. And now we're here. Weirdly, so. though, okay, so like, I like to watch horror movies, and there is a wide continuum of good horror movies to bad horror movies mm-hmm. but like with most art there's that fun extra bad bit where it kind of wraps back around from being mm-hmm. bad to like oh this is actually kind of fun mm-hmm. I'm enjoying and the ones that I find really bad are the ones that just like 
can't even make it there. <laughs> and Gangland is one of those songs that's just like so aggressively mid. And it's saddled in between two songs that I think are really good. <laughs> okay. I think that's really my criticism of it. And I'm going to say, in my defense, the band agrees with me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now they I gotta hear this. Needed to find a B-side for Run to the Hills when they put that out as a single. Okay. And I guess it was between this and Total Eclipse, another song that they did. Okay. And they chose Total Eclipse, and people from the band are on record as being like, they were like, I and really wish Total Eclipse was actually on the record and not oh, <laughs> just on the okay. B-side. Oh, okay, got it. They put Total Eclipse on the B-side and Gangland on the record. And everybody's like, Gangland should have been the B-side. Yep. Interesting. I went and listened to a little bit of Total, Total Eclipse, Eclipse, which I could only find a live recording of on okay. Spotify, but I think it's a better song. Not surprising. You know, I think the drum intro on Gangland is yes. very 80s. Now, it reminds me in feel of the Hot for Teacher intro by Van okay. Halen. However, that intro is way more complex because it sounds like a heavily cammed bike or muscle car, whereas this is more straight. But like it, I don't know, just has like a good 80s like rock creeping up on metal feel to it, like a Motley Crue song might. Yeah. Gangland as a theme is really similar to other stuff that's going to come after this, like Wild Side by Motley Crue or Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. That theme of, you know, like the bad part of town. Watch out, you might get shanked. Yeah. Gangland, though, seemed more lyrically like a guy that got out of jail and is now worried about getting dead. Yeah. But again, no, I agree with you. Song-wise, I was like, eh. Yeah, this is the song where, because he's singing lower at points, I can't understand shit he's saying without lyrics because he just gets buried Yeah, by the rest does. of the band. It's I like agree. they don't know how to mix him when he's not singing really high. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, what do we do with you? We can't understand what you're saying. I don't know, man. Just, like, take my volume down. Whatever. No, I didn't really have many notes on this other than the more that I thought about the lyrics, I thought that they were a little bit, a little more complex than I initially thought. Like maybe we're looking at a guy that's worried now that he's out of jail, that he's someone else is going to worry that he's going to talk. And so they're going to take him out. Yeah. Instead of just being like, oh, it's a bad part of town. So bad things happen. Yeah. Still, yeah, that is every, I hear this fun. song and I'm like, this isn't, this sounds less like metal than other things on the album, and it is okay. Yeah, I think it's just, the singer hits a really high note right before the guitar solo that's wildly impressive. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a song that I feel like is just kind of really mediocre. Mm-hmm. And on the less good side of mediocre where you're like, I don't know, it's not even on album filler to me at this point. It's just here, I guess. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't typically care too much about, you know, how you would classify genres of albums or anything, but most Motley Crue stuff is classified as hard rock, not classified as like metal. 
mm-hmm. think that I would slate this more in the hard rock realm than I would the metal realm. Yeah. As yeah. far as the, the feel of the song goes. Yeah. But it's okay, I guess. Yeah. I think it is done the disservice of being sandwiched in between Run to the Hills and Hallowed Be Thy Name, both of which I really like. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's Run to the Hills is a really heavy hitter as far as just like musicality goes. And then Hallowed Be Thy Name is a great closer. Yeah, it's just a fun album closer. So it's just and that you got kind of thing where every time I was like, oh, right. Gangland's here too. <laughs> Gangland. Okay. Now we're, we got that over with. Um, yep. I'll be thy name. Yes. So I guess that's, yeah, that's that. Kind of fun, like Carols of the Bells vibes right at first. Oh, on Hollow Be Thy Name? Yes. Yeah. So track eight is Hollow Be Thy Name. And yes, it's, this is like, I mean, it, it's it's got Carol of the Bells vibes. It's got like interesting medieval vibes to it that I like. Yeah, the bell tolling not so much, but it almost has that. It's somewhere between Trans Siberian Orchestra and a medieval prison. Yeah, it's another one I feel like where you could tell that Metallica heard this and were like, "We could do this." They're like, "This, this is this is what the people like here." Yeah. It has that kind of vibe. It feels like they're kind of going for a little bit more than just heavy rock. Yeah. No, the build of it, I thought, was really good. Like, it yeah. builds with that bell and the the guitar. Like you said, maybe it's acoustic or it's just affected to sound close to an acoustic. But it's got a nice touch to it. Then it transitions into a cool electric part. And then it gets, it just keeps stepping up. And I like Oh, that. yeah. Yeah, no, this song builds in a really great way. I think it's kind of a fun singer range for him at first. Yeah. He's lower, but because there's less going on, he's understandable. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And then the instrumental transition, and then we hit like the actual main riff, and it's really fun. Yep. I think this one's got a, a nice twin harmonized guitar solo, too. It does. I really like the singer... With no instrumental call and response with like an instrumental part too that we're doing through the verses. Yeah. You know, um, this song just has a lot of good stuff for a live show. Yeah. It, it was just peppered with things that are now really kind of cliche, but I imagine more so at the time were not. Like the double guitar thing people see now, I feel like. And it's impressive, but they're like, oh, I've seen it before. But yeah. I feel like back then it was it was more novel. Yeah, yeah, I really just like the little trade-off. The speed-up in this song really, really rules, though. It does. I agree. It is so I much agree. fun. I think, I don't know, I guess I, the double guitars do do a little less for me on this one, because I do have a note where it's like, eh, it gets a little, like... They do it a right. lot. They do yeah. it a lot. It does, this song, to me, actually felt a little too stretched out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they maybe did they maybe did some parts too long. Yeah. So yeah. I liked some of the even earlier on though, I liked some of the little kind of inversions that they did within the riff. Because you know, you got the it climbs like the doodle little 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 and then later on you get that kind of walk down. Yeah. They're just this band does a good job of writing a riff and knowing how to flip it. 
to give a different feel at a different part of the song while still maintaining almost the same kind of hook and feel of the riff, which is cool. Yeah. It's, it's a nice talent of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this song. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this song was really fun. It's such a good album closer. It is. It really is. And I feel like live, it would be great. Yeah. That was the thing is like, this was a track that I feel like was put on the album. Cause they were like, we're going to play this for people. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. <laughs> this yeah. is one that I feel like when you hear that don't bell toll live, you're just like, yes, yeah. they're doing it. <laughs> you get excited. It's one of the ones that you save for like the encore or something. Just yeah. so everybody's like, did they really not? So that brings us to the end of this album. It does. Here we are. And I think after listening to this, I am curious what more Maiden sounds like. Mm. Like, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of listening to all of their albums or anything, but I found that Maiden didn't sound like what I expected. And it was more yes, same there. It was, there was more diversity to this album than I expected. Yeah. Uh, and it's more fun than I expected. Like, yeah, that was a, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I do think it's fun. I don't know. I'm here for the like dark metal <laughs> kind of thing. So I don't know. It, it was weird to me. Yeah. To not have so much of that. What if we took the label off of it? What if you didn't think of it as metal? You just thought of it as a band? Then what? Then I mean, you're just like less interested? Yeah, because at that point, then I don't really know what it is. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, I would say that it's an album that doesn't really quite like know what it wants to be. Okay. Now that I've pissed off every mid fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I made some people mad when we talked about Metallica. So, all spare in love and dissecting music. Yeah, no, I had fun with this album. It is weird. Because, yeah, I'm in that same spot where I'm like, I thought they sounded different. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to better understand the sound now. I want to yeah. see, at least listen to some more. I'm not just going to cherry pick like Iron Maiden Greatest Hits or anything, but I might cherry pick a couple live albums. Yeah. Because then you'll get Greatest Hits and some other stuff. And I always just like to hear live stuff anyway to see kind of what they do with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was fun. So that's been Iron Maiden, and this has been fun. Thanks for listening.
And I'm back. I had to get the food order sorted. Yeah. Clap, clap, clap. Clap hands. Cha cha, real smooth. Um. Meanwhile, the children also imply that they have arrived at the decision. Their presence is incompatible with that of basic humans and therefore intend to lower their defenses and sacrifice themselves. The military commander realizes a mistake has been made and aborts the attack command. However, the command is triggered accidentally by a screwdriver, one of the simplest of man's basic machines. The church is destroyed and the children are killed. Okay. Yeah. Damn screwdriver. Yep. Well, you know there's now there's like, a song about it. Yep. You know there's like a shot in that movie where afterwards they're looking at it and like, screw simplest of <laughs> Yes, yes. It's probably by the commander who ordered the attack be canceled. Yeah. And then he's just like staring, thinking at, over the screwdriver and the mistake that's been done. Yeah. Or the mistake that's been made. But... I don't see the wings of virtue line. Maybe it's in my head. You ever do that? You ever mm. be convinced oh, that a line is in a song and it's not? Yeah, absolutely. But, 
Which You're not also, gonna play it? Come on. Bands don't make that. It's always funny when bands make that their like biggest single though, because then mm. it just makes the encore so obvious that it's like a fake one that yeah. you were. I know they're all fake ones that we were planning all along, but it's still. It's, I don't know. It's just funny to me because it's always one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, you didn't play your biggest single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should not move while talking. Bad audio. Um, <laughs> cut that future self. I had <laughs> Edit- fun with editor's that. note. Yeah, <laughs> for me. Um, 